everybody. Welcome to episode 66 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And I'm Laura. <laughs> Our very super duper special guest today. Laura has been on the podcast before. I, I should have looked up the episode. It was Laura was our first author guest, right, on the show way back in the single digits, I believe. Ooh, special! Mm. And one of our listeners recently shouted out that it was her favorite episode of all time. Really? Yeah, Aww. I think that happened on Instagram. Yeah. So then we thought, well, surely we have to have her back. <laughs> yes. So Laura Toma is here. When she was here before, she was wearing her coaching hat. She was talking about her workbook, mm. Mastering the Art yeah. of Self-Expression. A creative journaling workbook and today she's here to talk about her life as a playwright yes welcome laura thank you thank you for having me back yes and at the end of this episode we're going to have the world premiere of one of laura's radio plays but we'll talk about that later yes Excellent. we're very excited because this is going to air on christmas day yes and it seems very fitting to have a special i'm so excited to have it air on christmas day like that's one of my fondest memories are watching Bing Crosby and them watching or listening to radio and mm -hmm. that whole type of vibe. So it's yeah. very exciting to yeah. me. And I think it's so nice to have something in, in a radio version, mm. you know. So let's talk about, let's back up and talk <laughs> about what we're here to present today. Okay, so we're here to present Yours in Words. Yes. It's a play by Laura Toma. What you're going to be hearing later is a radio version oh. of a stage play. Uh, yes. And it's old-timey, because the play is set in 1895. So talk a little bit about how this play came to be. Well, it's really interesting. One of my favorite things to do in general is to read books with other people. So I have a, a friend, Chris Acton, who I do coaching and business books with, and we've done it for years and years. And we're very good friends. When we first started, she had a book that I think was called The Creative Entrepreneur by Lisa Beam, maybe that could be totally wrong but it was she had found the book and I was like oh I want to do that and so we were going to meet in person and then we realized that we like to go to Chili's and eat uh, queso and chat <laughs> so that we, we realized right away that we needed to do it over the phone even though we lived in the same area but we've kept it up for all these years like nine years right at least yeah I, is that because you went to eat and you didn't talk about the book is that what you mean yeah we would just get sidetracked gotcha. with just okay. visiting and enjoying right. each other and talking about all sorts of other things so right. when we did it on the phone we could focus on the book and be like what did you think of the chapter and we'll, we'll read it chapter by chapter or several chapter chapters together so when i took a storytelling class i think i met my friend laura scruggs and I was looking for someone who was a writer to maybe start partnering with. And when we were moving to Chicago, I asked her, would you like yeah. to read books with me? Oh, uh, not to Chicago. We were moving to Connecticut yeah. from Chicago. She lives in Chicago. And she said, yes. So we started reading different writing books. And we came across this book, The Playwright's Guide by Stuart Spencer, which is an amazing book. It has all sorts of exercises in it. And... So we were just doing it chapter by chapter. And one of the exercises was to write what's called a direct address monologue, which is where a character speaks kind of to the audience. And the one that I ended up writing wasn't totally to the audience, but she was speaking to her dead husband, the character, which is kind of reflective of the musical Hello, Dolly, which was one of my favorite musicals as a kid, where Dolly Levi, Levi speaks to her dead husband, Ephraim Levi. So yeah. all of a sudden I had this character, Annabelle Jones, who was speaking to her dead husband, Wendell. And it was like, you know, a couple paragraphs. And that's where the play started. Wow. So then did you decide, did you get encouragement from someone to move forward with it and broaden it? Or was there another experience you had where you needed 
you know, a piece that you had worked on to to write a play. Yeah. I, well, I never had any intention really of writing a play. Um, <laughs> Laura and I started reading this book because we were both doing solo show work at the time. And Laura has done a lot of solo show work. And I was like, maybe that's what I want to do. I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted to write, but I knew I wanted something theatrical. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought of writing play ever. And <laughs> I did that first one. And then there was another exercise where I ended up writing letters between Annabelle, who became one of the characters who was speaking to her dead husband, and another young girl whose name is Lily. And it was just this back and forth. And I was like, once I did that, I couldn't get them out of my head. So wow. I didn't really know I was writing a play when I started. I just kept writing like snippets, I, yeah. which ended up being scenes, which mm -hmm. ended up being a play. Because you would write in 15 minute increments, Usually right? like 15 to 30 minutes. Yeah. 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 I did it very, and it was the year after I lost my mom. So I didn't really want to do much mm -hmm. <laughs> or go anywhere or yeah. so it gave me something but I but it was never like oh I'm writing a play and when I first did it I, I ended up with the first act and I thought is this is this play like <laughs> so I remember um, you came to me saying like I think I'm writing a play <laughs> oh, that's exactly I exactly <laughs> and I was in a community theater group at the time and I thought like I should have a reading, which I had never done on this side. I've been involved in readings as an actor and a performer and I was like, okay. So luckily one of the women had a place in her condo. They had like a community room and I asked people to be involved and we read the first act and Chris took, came and took pictures. And it was so funny because I was like, Ee! the whole time I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. But at the end of that reading, everybody was like, what happens? Oh. And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, that, that was that. That was it. One, right? Yeah, that was yeah. all I'd written. And yeah. did that make you feel good or did it make you feel some form of pressure? Well, it made me feel really good. And then the pressure started because people kept asking me, you know, well, what? And I thought like, oh, I don't know. It was so different to write the second act because people knew about it. Right. You know, the first act nobody knew about except Chris. And even that, I don't think I shared very much with you when right. I was writing it. Yeah. It was just my mm. own little thing. And it was kind of very organic in the writing of it. Like these other characters just came and scenes. Like I never really struggled with what's going on. I, I did some research of the time. I was very fascinated with the typewriter girls in 1895, which I think were at the uh, 92nd Street Y in New York. And, you know, they talked all about women's hands being too delicate. Mm. You know, at first they weren't sure if they could do the typewriters. And so I, I thought maybe that's where I would go with it. But then the characters just were like, no, no, this is where you're going. Wow. Okay. Well, I remember, um, we'll get to the, we did another reading, which we'll talk about, but I remember when we were there, you showed me that you had a vision board. Yeah. So at what point in the process did you work on your vision board? That really was right before I kind of started to do uh, the rehearsals because I wanted, I figured that most of the actors, I was working with community theater actors, would not really know the time period or anything about it. And I had done, as I was writing, I kept doing research and it's not like a historic, it's not ac historically accurate. I'm sure if somebody came, they would be like, you know, have issues as they do with all, people do with all historical fiction mm -hmm. because you, you take what you like, right. <laughs> you know. Um, Which is why it's called fiction though. <laughs> exactly, yeah, <I> <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, I, I knew I wanted it, the, you know, the library's involved and I want it before the public library movement, which I didn't really know much about, but I was like, I wanted to be fee-based and luckily I had Chris who's like, yes, they're fee-based and this is how this was. And, you know, so, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered yeah. that question. Yeah, it did. And so then once you really sat down to write because everyone was, you know, anxiously awaiting what would happen with these characters, how long did the process take? 
it didn't take too long. I kind of knew where I was going, but I will say in the first version, the version um, that we did at the Blackstone Library, the ending wasn't right. The second act wasn't right. But it was, you know, I, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know how to end a play, which is very funny. Uh, last night I was at a playwright group and another playwright was like, I don't know how to end scenes. And I was like, preach. Like, <laughs> you get to these weird, you know, you you know you've done what you need to do in the scene, but how do you end it? Or, right. And when you get to the end of the play, it's kind of the same. It's like, and the end, you know. Yeah. It's challenging to know how it comes together. Yeah. Because in my play, I feel like there could be a second play about what happens. Or if it was a book, there would be another book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't know if that's how you really want it to end. Well, but. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I read novels all the time where, I mean, it just happened with our read-along with Bianca Murray, And I, I asked her, you know, please, my fingers are crossed under the table. <laughs> I'm going to see these characters again, right? You know, so yeah. I think in a certain way that is what happens. Absolutely. Especially for inquisitive people who, mm. you know, that's part of why we go to hear stories and be yeah. engaged and right. we never want them to end. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, you fall in love with the characters. Like, I have thought about writing it as, like, a YA. Like, I love Lily Lamont, who's the, the younger character who's moved to New York. She wants to be a writer. Like, there's just, you fall in love with your characters. Yeah. So. You want yeah. to explore their stories in many different ways, yeah. different mediums. So now, so you had Act 1, you had Act 2. I know you did the table reading for the mm -hmm. full play um, with the actors. How did you come about doing the production at the Blackstone Library in Brantford? Well, it was interesting. So I, had, I, I did the first, I did Act 1 as a table read. They call it a table read because you literally sit around the table and everybody just reads from the script. Um, and I went away, I did the second act, I came back and I did just Act 2 as a table read. And... That was, I was like, okay, this is good. And then for me, I'm such a visual person. I wanted to see it okay. up, basically. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see people moving. And I didn't figure I could do a full production because it is a, I, well, originally, this, one of the funny things is I thought I'd written a small play that would be able to be produced in regional theater. And then I was like, oh, I wrote a historical piece. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> so there's costumes and there, you know, when it's of a time period, it makes it much harder. So that was another reason I wanted to do what's called a stage reading. And I wanted to do it with costumes a little bit bigger. Some stage readings, people just like stand at music stands and black turtlenecks and read very seriously. But I wanted one where people were moving around with some costumes so I could get a vibe of what a production would look like. Um, and hopefully prove that you didn't have to have a huge budget to do a historical mm, play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the Blackstone came about because I was just looking for different spaces. And I've been in love with the Blackstone since Chris and I found it on our very first trip, trip to, Connecticut, our first probably? Trips to Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We drove through. It's a library, the oh. town over from Guilford. And I drag every visitor who comes to visit me through Absolutely. It. It's beautiful. It's, beautiful it's totally library. beautiful. And it's a sister library to the Blackstone in Chicago where we lived. And it's just. It's just beautiful. And from the minute we went in there, there was a theater group, I think, rehearsing in that space. Yeah, they have a big auditorium. Big there. auditorium that was a oratorium, I think is what they called it. it was, but it's always been a part of the library, which is very interesting to me because it is a little stage, has great acoustics. And so I went in, and it was way too much to rent. Uh, it was like $125 an hour or something. But I contacted the library director, and she was like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, well, <laughs> I want to do a stage reading. And she was like, can the public come? And I was like, sure. So then I got put on the events calendar, 
and oh, you know yeah. i got yeah. to be something sponsored by the library which was, was amazing great. yeah, yeah. and the play the library was built in the year that years and words takes place so yeah, it just felt like amazing yeah, yeah. it was supposed yeah. to be there and it was the perfect place to first see it yeah so many coincidences and emily actually was the moderator, the moderator yeah, of that um doing during the q a section afterwards mm-hmm. which is great Right. I added it to my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It was really fun. I had never been to a staged reading. And, um, you know, so people were in costume and they were moving about the Mm -hmm. stage, but it wasn't as formal as, you know, obviously going to a play on Broadway or something Right. Well, and they they weren't memorized. They carried their scripts. I mean, they knew it for the most part, but they weren't Mm -hmm. off book, as we say. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So. And then at the end, we had a little Q&A with the audience, and that really helped you, right? Oh, to it helped me so understand. much. And even though the ending has changed since then, my favorite comment was from Carl, who was the young man, who said that he loved the ending because it wasn't chaotic or, like, that it was a happy ending. Right. That everything didn't have to be this kind of tragic, and I thought like, oh, yeah, he's right. a he's a child from my, you know. Yeah. yeah, it was lovely. He was he was a young man who I think mm-hmm. his mother was in the play, yep. and he was literally sitting on the edge of his seat the whole play at full attention, and he was just delightful. Yeah. And I loved that he. I think he asked the final or set, had the final yep. comment of the day. I think and, so yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. now the next thing was that came up was doing this as a radio play. Yes. Well, I had struggled. I, I love the actors that did that original one. They were great. But I had, there were some that I felt like I just never quite heard. Like when you write, you hear things in your head. Mm. <laughs> and um, there is a timing to theater and plays. And it's, it's finding actors who can, it's not that they're more talented or different. It's finding people who mesh with your own rhythm. So I had found, I found like some that I wasn't finding the rhythm that I wanted. And so we had friends in from LA and a good friend of ours, I had asked her to read the part, part of Dot, who is the roommate. And part of the issue with this is the people I'm having read the play are much older than the characters in the play. Um, and the gal, Deb Mott, who played Lily, awesome. She's one of my favorite. She was just perfect for that role. It was such a good mesh. So I knew that, that she was a good fit and I wanted to find someone who sounded good with her. So we had our friend, Aaron Stoddard, who is a Broadway performer who was there come and read it. And neither one of them are the right age, but I wasn't looking at them. Like I was looking down and just listening to them. And it was just like, we need to do this as a radio play because they sounded like their timing and everything just mashed. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I think I said it out loud and everybody was like, yeah, we do. Yeah. (laughs) Like it was just like this moment. I'd never thought of it as a radio play, but hearing it, Mm -hmm. And I thought, I want the people I want to read it, you know, and well, on stage, they can't be, you yeah. know, 40, 50 years old. Right. Older. Yeah. Because, yeah. The characters One are 20. One of the characters is 20. Right. right. So, but their voices, they, I mean, talk about meshing with the character and then meshing together. It was really great to hear. Yeah. It was, that was amazing to me. Yeah. And, he, and as a playwright, and I think as a writer in general, when you hear your words, it's crazy. Mm. It's cra- And especially when they mesh, you know? And I mean, I definitely had actors who did it in a way that I didn't imagine it, and it was really helpful. And it was, and I start going, ooh, should the character have a little bit of that, you know? I had that in a different play reading recently. But in this one in particular, when, when it hit, it was just like, I don't know, it's just magical. Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Those are the characters. Yeah, that's great. So you just picked up a phone and made it into a radio play, right? <laughs> 
strangely <laughs> enough, almost, because uh, the gal playing Lily, Deb, uh, she said to me, well, you know Roxanne, who was somebody I had met who was a friend of hers, who I had actually been in a reading of one of her plays. She's like, you know, that's what she does. She does audio. And I was like, what? So I didn't know. So I called Roxanne and I was like, how would you like to do a passion project? Which is code for how would you like to do something for free? For free, yeah. yeah. Um, now we know. The secret, the secret Absolutely. Code. Would you like to do the passion project? So, you know, I sent her the play and she read it and she eventually was like, yeah, I'm totally on board. Which was kind of amazing because that side of it, as you all know, recording and we ended up recording in a very fancy audio studio. And it was a little bit out of my, I know some things about recording, but not to that point. And she was amazing. And getting, when you're doing a radio play, it's so different. Because when I would hear actors read, I'm visualizing them on stage. And you're thinking that's where it's going. But in an audio play, all you're hearing is the voice. Right. So she was amazing at working with the actors and getting them to go up and down. And different qualities of their voice, which I would never have gotten because right. I'm always having the visual in my head. Right. I know what it looks like. I'm not just hearing the audio, which sounds strange because I was, but you know, I'm used to people moving around. Right. So, yeah. I'm, yeah. and I'm used to the stage and I had to rewrite the whole script. Wow. And that was fascinating too, because obviously the script was written for a visual medium right. mm -hmm. and now we're doing, so it has been a huge learning curve mm -hmm. and I feel like it made the stage play better in the end because I took a lot of what I put in the audio script back to the stage. Mm -hmm. So I think the play is better for it. That's fantastic. What a yeah. process. Yeah, it was a huge process. <laughs> yeah. So and then much fun. How long did it take from start to finish, you know, generally to get it, the radio play oh, that's completed? A question. I don't really know. Six months? Yeah. There, there was a snag in the middle, um, yeah. you know, um, but yeah. I, yeah, we were all set to go. My producer's father died, unfortunately. So, um, you know, and yeah. it was hard. And with actors, you know, Actors in general, it's challenging because I certainly wasn't paying them very much right. money to do this. And so getting everybody's schedule coordinated and, you know, and then it's like you get ready and then that happened. So all the dates changed and we lost an actor, unfortunately, who we really liked and we replaced who we got somebody, you know, who was wonderful. But it's like, okay, we have to get all the timing. Everybody, everybody has to be ready to go yeah, and then do it. And then the end. And we were, we had a one shot deal because it's very expensive to rent an audio facility. Yeah. Luckily, we had Roxanne who could coach people and get everybody doing what we wanted them to do. But I had no idea. I mean, to try to do a whole play in yeah. one day. And that, you know, a lot of radio plays are very short. And I wanted to do the full-length play because mm -hmm. I did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's smart or not. But I was like, I want the whole thing done. I want to hear it. I want to have it. So everyone so. is together and reading. It's not individual. Well, they're things. all... In their own, in the studio, they were all in, like, isolation booths. So oh, okay. some of them were in the same area with baffles and stuff around them. Um, but they were spread out throughout the whole studio. So they're all looking at Roxanne through the glass. And she's, okay. you know, we're stopping and starting. So it wasn't read straight through. Yeah. And then Ro they did different takes. And then Roxanne and Laura would pick out what take kind of meshed well with the scene and I thought that was a fascinating process. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggled just to edit our little podcast. Right. So to have all those different voices <laughs> yeah. and, and pacing and everything, I, that's just such a real a talent. Yeah, she did an amazing job. Because there were, as you know, when you're talking and you laugh or you, you muffle your words. So there were times where we had to take like a word from a sentence, 
you know, and all of us who have moved around have different accents. So sometimes it was funny, like an actor would say a word where they all of a sudden sounded like they're from Minnesota, right. you know, <laughs> and you're like, where is that coming from? Like yeah. the rest of their speech is not like that. So yeah. trying to make those things. So, you know, it's certainly not perfect. And I think you could spend forever editing something to sure. get it. But yeah. Roxanne did a great job and she put in, we chose sound effects and she was very diligent and she was very excited about like, Ooh, the trolley bell is from, you know, she found one that was from uh, 1895 and, oh, you know, so great. we, we put in all sorts of sound effects and it's pretty exciting yeah yeah it's pretty cool i can't wait to listen to it i'm excited <laughs> <laughs> so we thought we would also i mean at some point i think it'd be lovely if you just do a brief introduction before we go into actually the play mm-hmm. but before that do you want to talk at all about any books that have helped you other than this one you're talking about now or any other guidance you've had about becoming a playwright <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, interestingly enough like i i had like I said, I never thought I was going to be a playwright. So I think, especially if you write, it's just being, I think Jules Pfeiffer, who I was telling you before we started, actually, um, one of my favorite podcasts, which is no longer on, but I think you can still download it, is called Downstage Center. It was the American Theater Wing published it. And it was Howard Sherman and I'm not going to remember the other host, um, but they interviewed people in theater across mm. the board, actors, directors, writers. Um, I don't know if they had writers. That may not be true. No, they did. They did, they did yeah. have writers, yes. Yeah. Costumers, like everybody. It's such a good, such a oh. good podcast. Mm. I enjoyed it a lot. I still listen to them. Like, it's been off for years. And I <laughs> I have like 300 episodes that I literally just listen to over and over wow. again. But Jules Pfeiffer was on. And he's one of my favorite because he always talked about story and how the story would guide him to the medium. Mm. So he was a cartoonist. He was a novelist. He was a playwright. He was like all, he just told story. And that just really spoke to me because sometimes I think like, is it a play? Is it a book? Is it a, you know, I have no idea what it is. So I think to me that that's the biggest thing for people is to, to listen to the story Mm. and listen to the characters and let them decide what format they want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And just to be open and have it be somewhat of an organic process. Absolutely. And if you've never done it before, like (laughs) I had never written a play and it's crazy. And now I've had one play become a semi-finalist in the national play competition. I still don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I've been in theater a long time, but it's so cool to be on the side of it and exploring it. And yeah, I think you do know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm learning what I'm doing, yeah. but it's, you know, it's when you talk about writing, everybody has an opinion. And I, I've been a part of master class, which is, um, online classes, online classes. Yes. Master class, uh, series that has, yeah, they're interesting. They're not really classes. They're interviews, basically, with famous people. Like James Patterson, Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom, uh, Ron Howard, all yeah. sorts of good people. But it's kind of fascinating to listen to people of that caliber talk about their process. Mm-hmm. Everybody's process is different. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing that I've learned, or I'm learning, I haven't learned it, <laughs> is to honor your own process and to listen to yourself and right. how yeah. you work and yeah. trust, you know, to go at your own pace. and. Mm-hmm. Because the other play you mentioned, Magpie, which was the semifinalist mm-hmm. at a, the theater, in, it was in Florida. Yep. Theater um, Odyssey, theater. In Sarasota. Sarasota. Yeah. That was, that's a very different play. Very different. Very different time. Yeah, and it's a one act, so it's a shorter play. And right now I'm trying to learn to write a 10-minute play, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't really understand that format yet, but... We'll That's get like a short, short story. Yes. Yeah. And when you see a good one, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, you're like, how did they get that arc? That was actually a story. It wasn't just like a scene. Like, right. it's, it's amazing when you see a good one. So, yeah. so far I've written some really good, bad ones. 
Well, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> Julia Cameron always said that. So that's another great book, actually, is The Artist's Way. Yeah. Where Julia Cameron always talks about, you know, being willing. Draft, yeah. Or? And being yeah. willing. I don't know if she said that one. Okay. But being willing to write bad, mm-hmm. you know, create bad art. Yeah. Basically. And, so. I mean, we've gone to so many author events now. And I know authors who've buried manuscripts in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people peeling, you know, hundreds thousand words off of a novel yeah. I mean that's just I don't that's the part where I think like I don't have that in me I think I couldn't do that it just seems so hard to see a piece more like I actually think that's where a lot of people probably run into a big hiccup you know they finish something and they say okay I'm finished it's the editing process and the Absolutely. morphing process mm-hmm. that I think you have yeah that's probably actually where the true art comes in because you have to be flexible absolutely right? well and I think I believe that writing is rewriting, mm. period. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's such a huge misconception that you sit down, you write a book, you write a play. You write, like, maybe some people do, but to to, to really think that your first draft is it. And I don't know, in this day and age, especially with computers, that many people actually write, just sit down and write a first draft. Yeah. You know, you think about it forever. You write a scene, you rewrite a scene until you, you have to have, you have to get hooked onto something, mm-hmm. whether it be the character. Some people are plot driven. I'm character driven. So it depends, you know, you have to find something that really resonates with you to keep you going because it is it is a long lonely process yeah. i mean it's fun but it's it's just you right you know and your character so you have to trust you have to trust what you're doing and you have to be interested in it you mm-hmm. know in some projects you start and you're like yeah i can't mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. i'm not interested enough in the characters or they're not grabbing me like i have one play that's been stuck in my head for like a year and a half it's driving me insane i cannot get it out every form i try to write in it, it doesn't work Hmm. I know the idea is good, but mm-hmm. it may never ever yeah. come to life because I cannot figure out mm-hmm. <laughs> what it wants to be or how to yeah. make it work on stage. Maybe it's not a play. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's a movie. Right? <laughs> I know. How cool. <laughs> and I can say for anybody who's out there who wants to produce Yours and Words, I think Yours and Words would be a great mini series. Probably. Because yeah. it's of a time period. And like I, on you know, you think of all the shows you see on the BBC or PBS, like it's that. It would be so cool to have it like on a weekly thing. Yeah. I think you could do expand the story. So if yeah. anybody wants to produce that, I'm I'm here. Contact me. We'll put her contact information in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So um, yours and words takes place in 1895, New York City. It's about two women writers at very different points in their lives. There's great historical detail about I think libraries and. Uh, women voting, technology, typewriters, fountain pens. I just think I, it hits so many of my sweet spots <laughs> of what I like about history that yeah. I was just like, oh my God, you're writing a place <laughs> in the 19th century? Like, I love you. <laughs> so this is really a love letter to Chris. Now you know, in some ways, it's totally there. I mean, and it's, it was, it's such an interesting time because women were really being freed in a way, though there was still very... Um, inhibited but like the bicycle the invention Mm. was just exploding and women were starting to get into the workplace and one of my characters Annabelle the two leads are Lily Lamont and Annabelle Jones and Annabelle Jones is the older writer and she's someone who has made it in a man's world and I I think that that's interesting that there were women you know Jane Austen had already been published Oscar Wilde there were people out there who I don't know you just think like that's amazing that they were already functioning Mm -hmm in these ways not to the capacity we would like them or the getting the credit we would like them to have gotten but that's so interesting and how what did they have to do to do that and mm-hmm. when a young you know startup comes thinking she knows everything 
what is yeah. that like for her right. to kind of learn that maybe it's not exactly the way she thinks it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 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 So any final words before? I'm just so excited and I hope people enjoy it. And I think it could be a wonderful holiday tradition to listen to yours and words every Christmas. I'm just saying. Yeah. For whatever your holiday is. Absolutely. Yeah. We yeah. do realize that this is coming out on Christmas Day because that is our scheduled day to have our episode air. But feel free to listen to it, you know, on your birthday, on yeah, Valentine's Day, absolutely. whatever day works for you. And it's Voting a great day. solstice yeah. because, I mean, in 1895, there were not... I mean, electric lights were just happening. Broadway was just lit up, actually. That's when it became the Great White Way. But it's kind of neat to think about these characters being in a place with candles. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. how they wrote. And right. gas lamps and those kind of things. So. Yeah. And I love, because of that, I love that it's a radio play. Yes. Yeah. And the idea of people sitting around and listening together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So without further ado, enjoy Yours and Words by Laura Toma. Welcome to a special radio presentation of the play, Yours in Words, brought to you in part by Underwood Typewriters. Everyone wants to escape the drudgery and ink spills of the fountain pen, ministers, lawyers, and especially authors. Underwood Typewriters, supersede the pen. Act One, Scene One. It's 1895 in New York City. Broadway has been lit up by electric lights and has thus been nicknamed the Great White Way. Cable cars and trolleys fill the streets. There's an elevated train and talk of someday building a railroad underground. In short, invention is leading the day. Lily and Dot are lounging in their shared room at the Noonan boarding house for young women a reputable establishment housed in a brownstone on a tree-lined street in Greenwich Village. The boarding house is home to many young women who have come to New York City to study the arts. Lily is lying on the floor engrossed in a novel, while her roommate Dot is curled up on the makeshift window seat they've constructed on top of the radiator. Dot is pretending to read the newspaper while she gazes out the window. Mmm, I just love lying in a sunbeam. Lying in a sunbeam and reading. There's nothing more delicious. Especially when you're reading Annabelle Jones. I just love her. And Hunger in the Depths of Love is such an inspirational book. Nothing more delicious. Don't you agree? Dot, don't you agree? Agree to what? Agree with how delicious it is to lie in a sunbeam reading Annabelle Jones. Yes to Annabelle, of course. And no to sunbeams. You know they get too hot for me. You, however, were made to lie in a sunbeam. After all, you're part cat and part dust mop. What? You've rolled from one side of this room to the other following that sunbeam. Stretching, yawning, and scratching yourself like a wild animal. It's obscene. You look like some sort of mangy back-alley cat. Just look at how filthy your dress is. Oh my, (laughs) I hadn't noticed. Well, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It feels so scrumptious. And you're one to talk, little Miss Prissy Pants. Me? Well, whatever do you mean? You know exactly what I mean. You're like one of those high-class dogs that lives in the penthouse on Park Avenue. 
Oh, Lily. <laughs> not too big, not too small. Always well-groomed and willing to flirt for a treat. <laughs> Wearing a beautiful sweater with a matching bow, sitting like a queen in the window, watching the world beneath her go by, wagging her... Wagging her what? Lily. Dot, let me see that paper. Only if you tell me what I'm wagging. You know what you're wagging, and you do it on purpose to distract me. <laughs> now, please, hand me the paper. I thought that's what it said. Can this be true? Uh, contained it on page nine. Well, where's page nine? Ah, uh, here it is. Oh, this is brilliant. I could change everything. Faster from my head to page? Editing would be stupendous, so much easier and quicker. Lil, what are you talking about? It says right here in the New York Times that R.H. Macy's is giving away a Shoals and Glidden typewriter to one lucky customer. What? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Wow! What do you think one of those would cost? I'm guessing more than I make writing letters for Mrs. Lawless and Mrs. Moyer. Uh, I'd say so. What do you have to do to win it? It says that you just have to shop at the 6th Avenue R.H. Macy's store between October 28th and December 22nd. And if you're the 963rd customer, you'll win the typewriter. Oh, a puzzle! I love puzzles! Lil, we can certainly figure this out. Well, not certainly, but we might be able to come close. Does Tilly's brother Tom still work at Macy's? Yes, I think so. Dot, what are you talking about? What are we trying to figure out? The day and approximate time the 900th and whatever number customer will walk into R.H. Macy's. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard you say. And I've heard you say a lot of crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really think we could come close? Oh, if I had that typewriter, think how much faster I could write my play. Oh, and Mildred was just telling me about something called carbon paper that they use when they type at the exchange to make copies. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Just tell me what you need and I'm your gal. Well, first, you'll have to finagle an extra phone call out of Mrs. Noonan. Can you do that? Sure, that should be no trouble at all. Who, who do you want me to call? Call Tilly and ask her to arrange a casual get-together with her brother Tom and some friends. Then, pull out your green dress and your best hat. My green dress? Yes, it'll be perfect. Act One, Scene Two. Lily and Dot have just left their get-together with Tilly and her brother Tom at Stilton's, their favorite place for meeting with friends. They are strolling arm-in-arm arm down a bustling street bathed in the glow of gaslit street lamps near the Arvison Library. The library has not yet become a part of the burgeoning public library movement and therefore still requires a fee. Oh, I can hardly believe I really thought it was a good is. idea. Oh, Lil, I'm sorry. I really thought Tom would tell us how many people he sees in his department each day. I don't know how Tilly can bear to be his sister. If one of my brothers acted like that, I'd squash him. But Tom, oh, excuse me, I mean Thomas. <laughs> I no longer go by Tom. All of my employees call me Thomas. <laughs> what a rube. He has one poor fellow who has to report to him, and he thinks he's R.H. Macy. It is not in my best interest to share such delicate information with lay people such as yourselves, especially those who are women. In my experience, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, especially those who are women. Oh, why are some men so limited? 
women are changing the world, literally. Don't they see that? I'll have to remind Thomas that he's working for a company that promoted a woman to an executive position. If it wasn't for Margaret Gretchel and her mantra, be everywhere, do everything, and never forget to astonish the customer, no one would even know about R.H. Macy's. I have a feeling Thomas won't be interested. I have a feeling you're right. Nor will he be interested that someday women will have the vote. And when we do, we'll vote men like Thomas right out of power. That we will. But men like Thomas will never believe it possible for women to have the vote. They are too busy lecturing us on the delicacy of our own gender to notice that we are actually living the words of Benjamin Franklin. Speak little, do much. Meanwhile, all Thomas does is a blah, 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 a blah, 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 a blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of doing, I'm not going to stand here and waste this green dress. It may not have worked on Tom, but I think it just might do the trick on old Lenny. Lil! What? I'm working in the current system. When men evolve, I won't take advantage of their limitations. And besides, I still have one more scene to read in A Woman of No Importance and two hours before the library closes. Oh, poor Lenny. He'll take one look at you in that dress and never know what happened. How many entrance fees do you think the library loses when Lenny is on duty? Plenty. Too many to count. I don't usually take advantage, but my allowance was a little short this week, and I really want to finish the play. And the library should have gotten a copy of Annabelle Jones's new book. I just can't wait to start it. I know. You mustn't keep Annabelle waiting. And be gentle with Lenny. Ta! Ta. Well, good evening, Miss Lamont. Good evening, Lenny. And I've told you, call me Lily. On a break, eh? Just snuck out for a cigarette. Sure is a beautiful night. Mm, it certainly is. If you don't mind my saying, it's an awfully pretty dress you're wearing, Miss Lily. Not many girls could wear that color the way you do. Thank you, Lenny. It's terribly sweet of you to say. Uh, do you like the back? <laughs> oh, uh, and look at the sleeves when I twirl. Uh, and when I spin around the... Oh, oh what uh, on earth? Oh. For heaven's sakes, I just organized all those notes. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I I'll pick them up for you. Look what you've done. They're everywhere. Uh, I didn't see you. I, I was, well, I guess I was twirling or, or maybe spinning. Well, not spinning exactly, but what is kind of... Mr. Ayers, uh -huh. I thought you might want to know that Mr. Reynolds is looking for you, uh -huh. and he isn't too pleased. You might even say he's tense. Young lady, huh? I dare say it isn't polite to stand in front of doors, though I suppose you weren't taught this. I'll thank you to hand me my belongings. Good day. Thank you, Mrs. Jones. I'm terribly sorry we were blocking the door. It won't happen again, ma'am. My mother did raise me better than that. Mrs. Jones? Yeah. Annabelle Jones, the writer. You know, the one who writes all the novels? Most people think she's a man, seeing that A.B. Jones is the only name on the books. Oh, there's my cue. Mr. Reynolds will be finishing his last coffee break. Sorry, Miss Lily. I have to get into the library before he makes his way back to his desk. I'll see you again soon. Annabelle Jones? I bumped into Annabelle Jones? <laughs> well, actually, she bumped into me. <laughs> oh, Dot is never going to believe this. 
Act 1, Scene 3. It's early morning at the offices of Badger Yates Publishing, one of the most prestigious publishing houses in Midtown. A meeting is in progress between Mr. Badger and the company's most distinguished client, one of the country's best-selling and beloved authors, who also happens to be the firm's only female writer. Annabelle, stop tapping that confounded pin on the table. I'm reading. <laughs> Bernie! Don't interrupt me, AJ. Don't do it. For heaven's sake, you've already read this chapter ten times. I am hardly interrupting. Shh. Why on earth do you want me to sit here if you're not even going to discuss things with me? Annabelle? Bernie? AJ, hush. I am not some schoolgirl that you can just... Jones, hush. I mean it. I don't know how you expect me to drink this coffee. It's terrible. It tastes like old socks and cigarette butts. And it smells like yesterday's garbage. How did you guess my secret recipe? Trust me, it wasn't hard. Well, the rewrite isn't bad. Not bad at all, Jones. Tell me, Bernie. How did you ever make editor with that sort of feedback? Save the quips for your book, will you, Jones? Now, here's the rub. It needs more conflict. Conflict? Really? You don't think the war is enough of a conflict? No. Well, clearly you don't get paid by the word. What kind of conflict are you looking for? Do you think perhaps you could be a bit more specific? I mean, obviously you think something is missing. This is the third rewrite you've requested for this chapter. I just don't know what you're looking for. You writers, you're all so sensitive. It's Harlan, the main character. He's good, but you haven't really let us into his inner life yet. We need to feel and experience his internal conflict. You see what I mean? We need to bear witness to his personal struggle as he fights to become the man he wants to be, while resisting the temptation to live down to the expectations that have been set for him by his men, his family, and his country. I hate to admit it to myself, let alone to you, Bernie, but I think you're right. Boy, I hate it when you're right. It really gets my goat. Well, when you're right, you're right. Ah, yes, modesty. Another one of your delightful qualities. We're in this together, Jones, remember? I remember, Bernie. I do all the work and you get all the glory. Or something like that. Now, have you found anyone suitable to work on the adaptation of Hunger in the Depths of Love? Not suitable for you, dear Annabelle. And what's that supposed to mean? It means it's going to take a very specific person to work in collaboration with you on this project. And so far, I've only found playwrights who are willing to work on the project if you're a man. Now, on book covers, people can think A.B. Jones is a man, but in person, I'd say it's a no-go. Why, Bernie, I think that's the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. It's always good to throw you a bone. And, of course, all the writers want final draft approval, and I know you, Jones. I know that's a no-go for you, yes? Yes. Patience, my dear Annabelle. We will find you the right collaborator. Times are changing, and I know, as always, you will be leading the charge. Not if I have to be patient much longer. I'm getting too old for this, Bernie. Nonsense. And besides, I have a feeling our luck is about to change. Just hang in there, Jones. Yes, Claire? Mr. Badger, your wife is on the line. I'll see you next week, Bernie. Give my best to Gertrude. I certainly will. And Jones, don't worry about the adaptation. Just work on the rewrite. Hello? Act 1, Scene 4. 
It's late Wednesday morning at the Noonan Boarding House for Young Women, and things seem to be, well, a bit chaotic. Ugh, how many times have I asked her not to dump her books all over the floor? I nearly broke my neck! I've asked her at least a hundred times not to do that. No, I'm sure it's more like a thousand times. But does she listen? No, in fact, she doesn't even take me seriously. She always has a laugh at my expense. Ugh, I just put these books on her bed yesterday. Now where's my coat? I'll never make it on time. Lily! Stanley! Why are you standing out here in the hall? Dot! I was looking for my key, but uh, with all these bags, it's a mystery where I put it. I'm so glad you're here. You'll never believe the day I've had. <coughs> oh, please forgive me, Stanley. That crate must be very heavy. Go, go on in and just set it on the table. Sure thing, Miss Lily. Good morning, Miss Dorothy. Good morning, Stanley. Lily, I almost broke my neck because of all the books you left on the floor. Again? I have asked you a thousand times not to do that, and you do it anyway. And now, thanks to you, I'm late. I'm so sorry, Dot. You're right. And I won't leave them on the floor again. I promise. Uh, oh, but please, stay so I can tell you about my day. I can't. I'm late for my drawing lesson, and Monsieur Guillaume does not take well to tardiness. Oh, and by the way, your books that almost broke my neck are on your bed. Ta! Oh, but Dot... I guess Miss Dorothy is in a real hurry. Oh, Stanley, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Thank you again for all your help. I'm not sure I could have managed to get that crate up here by myself. I'm sure you would have. You're very resourceful. But it's always a pleasure to help you. Now, are you sure you wouldn't like me to open it up before I go? Well, as long as you're really careful, I would be most grateful. But please, be gentle, Stanley. I'm not sure how it's packed, and I wouldn't want it to get damaged. Oh, Miss Lily, wow! I've never seen one of these up close before. She's a beaut! Isn't she? Mmm, look at those keys. And what great curves. I just want to run my fingers all around her. Wait, she is a she, isn't she? Uh, Stanley, would you mind lifting her up and I'll take a look underneath? You mean like this? Just a bit more. Uh. That's it. <laughs> yes, I was right. She is a she. <laughs> Miss Lily, you're making me blush. Never met a gal who could make me blush. Can I ask how you got her? You're never going to believe it, Stanley. Uh, sit down, I'll make you a cup of tea. Oh, I really shouldn't. I ought to be getting back to the front desk. How about I make you some tea and you can take the cup down with you? It'll keep the chill off. That's awfully kind of you, Miss Lily. It's my pleasure. It's the least I can do. Have a seat and tell me what you think of this. So, I was rushing by R.H. Macy's today when I remembered that Mother had asked me to pick up some new whist cards for her. Well, not just any whist cards, the new bicycle brand whist cards. You know, the ones that are ivory and pearl. No, can't say that I do, Miss Lily. Well, Mother just can't find them anywhere at home in Nebraska, and all the ladies have been dying to play with them. Well, I hesitated for a moment because I had several other errands I needed to run, and there appeared to be quite a flood of people in the store today. But then <laughs> I thought of all the lovely things Mother does for me, and I said to myself, Lily, don't be so single-minded. So I popped in. I popped in. And can you believe I was the 214th customer? What does that mean? What it means, Stanley, is that I am the proud new owner of an Underwood typewriter. Ha! 
I can hardly believe it. Uh, one sugar or two? Two, please. But, but I thought I read they were giving away a Shoals and Glidden typewriter. They are. But the Underwood Company, being new to manufacturing typewriters, wanted to get in on the publicity. I heard Shoals and Glidden weren't too pleased, but Macy's not wanting to lose any business added a second giveaway without telling the public. Can you believe it? I had given up on trying to figure out how to win, and then I run into the store for whist cards for Mother, and I win a typewriter just the same. That sure is a swell story. Sounds like it's right out of one of those plays you write. Couldn't have happened to a nicer gal. I'm guessing you'll be typing them all up now. Your stories and plays, I mean. That's right. But first, I have to learn the keys. My friend Mildred says if you know how to play the piano, it's easier to learn them, so I'm hoping it won't be too hard for me. And someday, Stanley... Not too far away, you'll be coming to see one of my plays on the Great White Way. Just you wait. Oh, I know I will, Miss Lily. If anyone can do it, it's you. Thanks again for the tea. I'd best be getting back to the desk. I'll run the cup up before I leave for the day. My pleasure, Stanley, and thank you for all your help. Ta. I so want to try out my new typewriter. Look at her. She's magnificent. <laughs> As Mother would say, You look like you're full of vim and vigor. <laughs> oh, you should have a proper name. I know we're going to have all sorts of fun together. I think I'll call you Hildegard. I always wanted to meet a nice German girl. Hildegard it is. Hildy for short. Oh, yes, it's perfect. <laughs> How should we get to know each other, Hildy? Hmm? Oh, I know. I'll try typing up my notes for my notebook for practice. Now, where did Dot say she put my books? Oh, on the bed. That's not here. I wonder if it's here under the bed. Oh, if I can, if I can just reach. What in the world are you doing on the floor, Lily? It's not enough that I have to trip over your books. Now I actually have to trip over you? Very funny. Now help me up, won't you? What are you doing here? I got all the way to Monsieur Guillaume's, and he asked me for my sketches, and I realized in my agitated state this morning I had forgotten to bring them. Luckily, Sally Henderson had arrived early for her lesson, so she offered to switch times with me, and I agreed. I don't have to tell you that Monsieur was none too pleased, but I dashed out before he could scold me in French. Now, where did I leave my sketches? Lily! Is that... The typewriter? Isn't she a beaut? I think I'm utterly crushed. I was just getting ready to snuggle up with her. Well, please don't let me get in the way. But how in the world did you get that? It's not a that. It's a she. Her name is Hildegard. Hildy for short. And she and I were destined to be together. I popped into Macy's. Lily! They you won? No. I mean, yes. Well, I, I did win an Underwood typewriter. I'll explain it all to you later, but most importantly, my life will never be the same again. Lil, that's wonderful, and I can't wait to hear all about it. Oh, I'm so happy for you, and I know you'll do amazing things with it. You mean her, don't you? Her name is Hildegard. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Lily. Call her by her name, Dot. After all, she will be sharing our room with us. I have to dash. I have to find my sketches and get back before I'm late. Again. Lord knows monsieur is uh, not too pleased with moi. Mon dieu! And I really don't want to make it worse. Are you listening to me? Mm-hmm. 
It was a pleasure meeting you, Hildegard. <laughs> now where are my sketches? Oh, uh, weren't you showing them to Dolores last night? Oh, you're a peach. Now remember, I won't be home tonight. I'm staying with my Aunt Beth at that new hotel. Oh, what's it called? The Waldorf Astoria. And we're having dinner at the Empire Room. Sounds divine, doesn't it? I'll see you tomorrow and tell you all about it. Mwah, mwah, ta. ta! Oh, wait, Dot. Where did you leave my notebook? Oh, fiddlesticks. Where is it? Have you seen it, Hildy? It's a small, tan notebook full of brilliant thoughts and ponderings. No? Oh, where is it? I know it's here somewhere. Ah, oh, here it is. Possible titles. Heave ho... Falling up, pushing with claws? What's this? This isn't my notebook. Whose is this? Oh, there has to be a book plate in here somewhere. What? Oh, this can't be right. This is Annabelle Jones's notebook. <laughs> oh, Hildegard, I knew you were going to bring me luck. Do you see what this is? This is the famous novelist A.B. Jones's notebook. I must have picked it up by mistake the other night. I am holding Annabelle Jones's notebook. I wonder if it smells like brilliance. <sighs> it does. I knew it would. Annabelle is brilliant, and I have breathed in her essence. Hildy, you and I are going places. I can feel it. <laughs> Focus, Lily. How can I contact Mrs. Jones? Oh, here. If found, please contact Badger Yates Publishing. Oh, this really is my lucky day. Hildy, I have to go finagle another phone call. But I promise I'll be back in a jiff, and you and I will get to know each other then. Ta! Act One, Scene Five. It's later the same afternoon, back at the offices of Badger Yates Publishing. Sunbeams stream in from the large windows across from Bernie's mahogany desk, where he sits crouched, lovingly pruning his philodendron plant with his newfangled fingernail clippers. How's that? Now that doesn't hurt a bit, does it, Phil? Daddy's brave little philodendron. I told you it wouldn't hurt, and Daddy wouldn't lie, would he? No, he wouldn't. Now, how about a drink of water? Would you like a drink of water? You look so thirsty. Yes, you do. Sounds! Does that confounded thing need to be so loud? Yes, Claire! Mr. Badger, I have a call for you. It's a young lady. I really didn't get her name. Just go ahead and put it through, Claire. Hello, this is Bernard Badger. What can I do for you? You don't say, really? How very interesting. Where did you say you found it? <laughs> that sounds like her, all right. Quick and to the point. You're what? Oh, is that so? Very interesting. Oh, no need for that. Yes, I'm sure. I'll just have you drop her a line. Oh, no. I'm certain she'd love to hear from you. Claire, are you still on the line? Yes, Mr. Badger. Good. Uh, would you please give Mrs. Jones' mailing address to the young lady? Yes, Mr. Badger. Fine, fine. Thank you for calling. Have a good day. Isn't that something? I would have cut that from AJ's novel for being unbelievable. Yes, I would. Now, 
Hold still, Phil. Act One, Scene Six. It's Thursday evening, and Lily is sitting at the table with her typewriter, Hildegard. The room is dark except for one small light that illuminates her workspace. She is surrounded by open books and typing paper. The floor is littered with crumpled paper, notebooks, and the occasional chocolate wrapper. Oh, this is absolute drivel! Hello! Hey, watch it! You nearly hit me in the head with one of your rejects. I said hello! Oh, you scared me. What's the idea of sneaking up on me? Sneak up on you? I said hello when I came in. This place is a mess. What's going on, Lil? Oh, I I'm sorry. I know I said I would straighten up. I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed. What are you doing home so early? Early? What are you talking about? It's nearly six. I'm actually late. I was worried you were going to be concerned about me. But clearly, I was mistaken. What is going on here? With all those pencils in your hair, you look positively nutty. Please tell me you picked up dinner or at least asked Mrs. Noonan to hold it for us. Dinner? What? Six o'clock. How can that be? Oh, I'm no further along than I was hours ago. Oh, this is futile. I'm terrible. I am a terrible writer, and I might as well just crawl into bed now with my box of chocolate and forget ever getting up again. If I cannot compose a simple letter of introduction, the most basic communication there is, a simple letter that young girls learn to write the very first day of finishing school. Oh, I'm not worthy of Hildegard. I'm unfit to work with the great A.B. Jones. Work with A.B. Jones? Lily, what are you talking about? You're simply manic and working yourself up into a full fit. This room is a mess, and I just cleaned it yesterday. Now, talk to me like a rational person and tell me what this is all about. I'm just so upset. I don't know how to explain it. Well, what started it all? I suppose finding Annabelle's... Mrs. Jones's notebook in the pile with my books. What? You're serious? You have Annabelle's notebook? How is that even possible? I, I think it happened the other night at the library when we ran into each other. When we both dropped our notebooks and I must have picked up one of hers by mistake. Oh, Dot, I didn't mean to read it. I, I thought it was one of mine and then I saw her titles and I just couldn't help myself. She is brilliant. Truly brilliant. And then I saw the book plate, and it states to contact Badger Yates Publishing if the notebook is found. So I went to Dolores, who owes me a call, and thank goodness she was home, and Mrs. Noonan was in a favorable mood, so I did it. I called. You didn't. I did. I called Badger Yates Publishing and spoke directly to Mr. Badger. I explained who I was and what I had, and then I mentioned that I was interested in adapting Mrs. Jones's novel, Hunger in the Depths of Love. You didn't. I did. Well, what did he say? He said that was very interesting and something else I don't remember right now, and then he gave me Annabelle Jones's mailing address. He didn't. He did. So all I have to do is write a simple letter of introduction and send it with the notebook, but I 
can't because I'm a terrible writer. Oh, Lily, this is amazing. I can't believe you called. You are not a terrible writer, and you can do this. I don't think so, Dot. I've been trying since early this morning. Yes, but you're trying too hard. Think of how many letters of introduction you've written before. But not to A.B. Jones. Exactly. So don't think about her. Pretend your mother has asked you to look up the daughter of one of her friends. You're writing the letter to her. Oh, Dot. I'm serious. It can work. Here, move your machine over. I mean Hildegard. You can do this. <sighs> okay. I can do this. Now, what would you say if you were contacting a Miss Blessing to let her know you had accidentally acquired her notebook? Dear Miss Blessing, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Lily Lamont. I believe our paths crossed rather rambunctiously the other night outside the Arvison Library. In the moment of confusion we experienced, it seems our personal belongings got mingled. I have recently discovered I am in the possession of one of your notebooks that, in the dark, I mistook as my own. When I called the number listed in your notebook, I was instructed by a Mr. Badger to contact you at this address. I hope you will not find this too great an intrusion. Oh, that's lovely. You're doing wonderfully. I can't believe how fast you're typing. You make it look so easy. I practiced all night, uh, typing and retyping my notes. I do think Mildred was correct. My, my fingers seem quite strong from playing the piano. Well, it's very impressive. But don't get too carried away, Lil. All you have to do is add your closing line, switch the names, and then mail it. I think I'll add just a bit more and then send it with the notebook. Thank you, Dot. I couldn't have done this without you. You always know just what to do. It's my pleasure. You are meant to work with Annabelle Jones. This we know. But Lil, just don't get too pushy, all right? <laughs> you know how you can be, and in a letter it may come off well overbearing. Uh -huh. I have to run. Martha and Willie are waiting for me at Stilton's. Don't wait up. Ta! Ta! This is good. This is really good. I don't think this is overbearing. Do you, Hildy? Maybe I'll keep the notebook and offer to bring it to her in person. Is that pushy? No. It's neighborly. Act 1, Scene 7 It is a lovely, crisp Tuesday morning at the Queen Anne-inspired residences of Henderson Place, nestled on the Upper East Side. Dew is glistening on the spiderweb just outside the slightly frosted windows of Annabelle's cozy book-lined study. Having finished her morning ablutions, she is pacing, reading a letter aloud to her late husband, Wendell. She feels closest to him when she is talking to his large painted portrait above the fireplace in her study. Can you believe that, Wendell? Then Miss Lamont goes on to say, When, when I, I called call the number listed in your notebook, I was instructed by a Mr. Badger to contact you at this address. Remind me to thank Bernie for that. I hope you will not find this too great an intrusion. For many years now, I've been studying your first novel, Hunger in the Depths of Love. 
and have great visions for it as a play. Oh, dear. I'm sure she does. I esteem and understand your work so deeply that I know I can give it the breath of life for the stage. I also know in my heart that you and I would be the perfect collaborators. Of course she does. And then, Wendell, and then she signs it. Yours in words, Lily Lamont. Yours in words. Yours in words. What in the world does that mean? Who signs their correspondence with such nonsense? Yours in words. Point in fact, she's not really signing anyway. She uses one of those confounded typing machines. Who can even think with that clickety-clack? And it only produces capital letters. How precise, how subtle can one be when using a machine? Oh, Wendell, how I wish you were here. You always knew exactly what to say to me. You had such a knack for calming me down. Who does that girl think she is? So forward and so impertinent. Oh, Wendell, did you hear what that girl wants to do? She wants to take my beloved novel and breathe life into it. My novel is not dead. My novel is award-winning. What? No, she didn't say she would adapt it herself. She inferred we would work together to create the script. Yes, Wendell, yes, that's what I've always wanted. But I don't like her. Why? Because she lingers in front of doors to start with. You know how many writers I have turned down for this project? Yes, Wendell, they were all men. Yes, I have been waiting for a woman. A woman strong enough and talented enough to collaborate with me and brave enough to make a stand that women can work in theater. But she is not a woman. She is a child. She is a child who uses a machine to write her letters and then signs them yours in words. What? You think we would work well together because I can be childish? Wendell! <laughs> oh, oh, Wendell. You always did know how to show me when I've gotten too big for my britches. <laughs> Will I write her back? I'll think about it. I said I would consider it. Yes, Wendell, I will write her back. Thank you, my love. I miss you. Now, let's see how much she really wants to work on this project. Act 1, Scene 8. As the leaves fall in New York City and the chill in the air begins to linger, Annabelle and Lily become engaged in a three-week letter-writing repartee. Not only has the season begun to change, but so too have the opinions of our writers. Hilda, you'll never believe who I got her letter from. Annabelle Jones. Can you believe it? She wrote me back. Annabelle Jones wrote me back. Dear Miss Lamont, I live by the philosophy that the truth is the best medicine. Therefore, I must inform you that though I am looking for a collaborator to adapt my novel, there is no possibility that I would consider you for this role. The style of your writing... The fact that you use a machine instead of your hand is very discouraging. And lastly, 
that you sign your correspondence, yours in words, this is more than one can be expected to take. Thank you for alerting me to the whereabouts of my notebook. I have been searching for it for several days. If you will be so kind at your earliest convenience to drop it at the Badger Yates offices, I will pick it up there. Cordially, Cordially Mrs. Mrs. Annabelle Jones. Oh, it's almost too much. Though, I don't think she's understood us, Hildy. I'm sure I can communicate more effectively. A letter from Miss Lamont. Hmm. I wasn't sure she had it in her. Dear Mrs. Jones, it was such a joy to receive your response to my inquiry. I was so pleased you took the time out of your busy schedule to respond to me. Now, I beg you to reconsider your response. I do know how foreboding letters from my new Underwood typewriter can be, especially since it only allows me to use capital letters. My mother says she feels I'm yelling at her. <laughs> can you imagine? Yes, I can. But as I said to Mother, I want to do my part to help companies diversify their products and move away from making war weapons. Hmm. I wouldn't have thought she would think of such things. Interesting. I believe the typewriter to be the way of the future. As I master typing, I am consistently amazed at how much faster I can get my thoughts onto the page. I also intend to try carbon paper when working on my writing to create an instant copy. Carbon paper? An instant copy? Now that does sound intriguing. Please forgive my ramble. I'm just so excited to be corresponding with you and sharing my love of innovative machines. Now, Mrs. Jones, I must request that you reconsider your response and encourage you to meet me and allow me to share my thoughts with you in person about the adaptation of your divine novel, Hunger in the Depths of Love. Yours in words, Lily. P.S. Please do me the kindness of calling me Lily. Well... It seems Miss Lamont is a bit more resolved than I first thought. Let's see how she volleys. I'm off to class, Lil. Oh, and there's a letter for you on the table. Ta! Ta! Oh, Mother said she was going to send me... <laughs> Hildy, it's not from Mother... It's from Annabelle. Dear Miss Lamont, Lily, I must say I wholeheartedly agree with your mother. Oh, no. That can't be good. The aggressive nature of your letters and the feeling that the messages are somehow being shouted makes them quite challenging to read. I find your typewriter in the letters it produces to be confrontational and without much personality. Now, don't you listen to her, Hildy. However... I do find you to be persistent. Oh, well, that's good, isn't it? Which is a trait not often seen in young women today. A trait that many would say is vulgar and unbecoming. On this, I would have to disagree and say that I admire persistence when driven by passion in both men and women. Though, I would also caution you to not allow it to become impertinence, for that will get in the way of your desired result. Unless you have something else to share regarding the adaptation of my novel, I must stand by my original response. Respectfully yours, Annabelle Jones. P.S. You may address me as Annabelle in any future correspondence. I may address her as Annabelle. Did you hear that, Hildy? So, she likes my persistence. Well, that's something. Let's see if we can improve on that.
Good morning, Wendell, my love. Now, where did I put those letters yesterday? Ah, here they are. Ask her, Prudence, oh, sister. Ah, and Miss Lamont. So she can volley. Excellent. Let's see what she has to say. Dear Mrs. Jones, Annabelle, I want you to know I take your remarks to heart, and I must inform you that you are the first and only person to whom I close my correspondence with yours in words. I do so because I believe we share a great love and affinity for the power of words. It is important to me to follow in the footsteps of strong and brave women, such as yourself, who've come before me and have cut the path, as it were. I believe that women should be given equivalent opportunity to men, and when it is not granted, I believe that we should create our own opportunities for greatness. Good girl. Very well said. My father always told me if I was waiting for an invitation to be equal to my brothers, I would die standing there. He said that I needed to know in my heart that I was equal and to act as such. He sounds like my dear Wendell. That is what drives me to want to do the adaptation of your novel. It is such an important work for women, and one that tells our story from many different perspectives. We are fortunate enough to live in a transformative time when our voices can and will be heard. I believe the stage is an essential element in bringing our voices to the forefront. And through our collaboration, we can create a most paramount production that will empower both women and men to heed the cause and join us on our path to equality. Well said. I couldn't agree more. I promise you this will be my last request, but I must ask you once more if you will reconsider and meet with me in person. I know a lovely little cafe just down the street from Hotel St. Stephen where we won't be disturbed. Shall we say Thursday next at 2 p.m. at Au Petit Burr? I anxiously await your reply. Yours in words, Lily. Well played, Miss Lamont. Very well played, Lily. yammering on like that. Sorry, Lil. I'm just so excited. I'll sit here very quietly, but please read the letter out loud. Okay, here we go. Dear, Dear Lily, Lily, excuse me as I dispense with the formalities and get right to the heart of the matter. It seems to me you were raised by two very sensible parents. Your father's words remind me of something my late husband Wendell would have said, and it is sound advice. We must know in our hearts that we are equal. It seems you and I have something in common after all. We have had the good fortune to have men in our lives who believe we are equal to them in mind and manner. Through their respect, we were given an unwavering support that allowed us to realize our potential, giving us both a gift and a responsibility. We must use our unique talents to give voice to those who have been silenced. You have piqued my interest, Lily Lamont, and I shall reconsider and agree to meet with you in person. I know Au Petit Burr very well, and we'll meet you Thursday next at 2 o'clock sharp. Sincerely, AJ. P.S. I would be most obliged if you would remember to bring, bring my, my notebook. notebook with you. <laughs> oh, Lil! <laughs> the 
This concludes Act 1 of Yours in Words. Stay tuned for Act 2 of our special presentation play, proudly sponsored in part by Edward B. Grossman and Company. Ride your bicycle in style with exclusive bicycle costumes from Grossman's, now with jackets and bloomers for ease of movement. Matching skirts can be purchased separately if desired. See all the latest stylish and sporty bicycle suits for spring 1896 at Edward B. Grossman and Company, exclusive cloak and suit house at 178 State Street. And now, act two of our special presentation of Yours in Words. It's Thursday afternoon at Au Petit Beurre Café in Greenwich Village. Annabelle exits the café, paces for a moment, then looks at her late husband Wendell's pocket watch hanging from her silver chatelaine next to her key in her leather purse. Annabelle has always been enamored by chatelaines due to their historical significance. Originally, chatelaines were worn by men at the waist and held the keys to the castle. Her favorite chatelaine is the one she wears while writing, it includes a notepad, stamp holder, pen knife with scissors, a retractable pencil, desk key, and an engraved whistle. She is fond of telling others that she carries the keys to her own castle. After checking Wendell's watch, Annabelle turns and walks away from the cafe, then stops, turns, and walks back and checks his watch again. Two twenty p.m. This is intolerable. My letter stated 2 p.m. sharp. Mrs. Jones, Annabelle, please wait. Oh, I'm so sorry to be late. To inconvenience you in any manner. Miss Lamont, I specified to you in my letter I would meet you at 2 p.m. sharp. I'm sure you have some glorious excuse. You must, because you look absolutely frightful. And what is that outfit you're wearing? Are those... Are you wearing bloomers? Bloomers? Oh, dear. Uh, yes. And they are so comfortable and, and come in so many colors and patterns and... Uh, Never mind. I haven't the time to hear it. I am expected at another appointment and must ask you for my notebook and then be on my way. Oh, I'm sorry. Mother says I have a tendency to ramble on when I'm nervous. I do have an excuse, though. You see, I left in plenty of time for our meeting. Early, in fact. So I would arrive before you and be able to pick out a perfect table, but then... My notebook, Miss Lamont. I must depart. Oh, do please call me Lily. I have it. I know it's in my bag somewhere. Uh, yeah, oh, here it is. Thank you. Good day, Miss Lamont. Mrs. Jones, I'm sorry. May we please reschedule? I worked so hard on my notes for the adaptation, and I think you will find them very interesting. I promise not to be late again, or so disheveled, or inappropriately dressed, or... I will stop you there. I am someone who likes order. I do not care for things to be messy. And when it comes to people, I fancy myself very much like Mr. Darcy. Good day. You see, Mrs. Jones' life is messy. But Father taught me things have a way of coming out in the wash. Oh, I just hope he was right. Act Two, Scene Two.
As the clock chimes three in the offices of Badger Yates Publishing, Annabelle Jones quickly exits the newly installed elevator as though she is stepping off a sea vessel and trying to find her land legs. Lovely to see you, Mrs. Jones. Claire. Oh, thank goodness. I didn't think I'd get out of that thing alive. Remind me to take the stairs when I leave. Yes, Mrs. Jones. Mr. Badger will be with you shortly. He's just finishing up with a client. He asked me to have you wait in his office. He'll only be a few minutes. I expected a bit of a wait, as I am a few minutes early. May I get you anything to drink while you wait? Nothing to drink, thank you, Claire. I just need to sit down. I will sit and collect my thoughts. After all, that is why one arrives early, so they may collect their thoughts and be prepared for their scheduled appointment. As one should do. Arrive early? No excuses. Okay. I'll be right outside if you need me. What sort of office is Bernie running? Why are there no pencils? I should have one in my bag. Or did I tuck it in my notebook? Wait, what is this? This isn't my stationery. Possible character arcs and scene breakdowns for hunger in the depths of love? Hmm. Oh, now that's interesting. Uh-huh. I would not have thought of that. Hmm. Beginner's luck, I'd say. Hmm. Hmm. Embracing the new typing machines, Jones. Bernie, you startled me. How unlike you. How did you sneak in here? I didn't even hear the door. Sneak in here? This is my office, Annabelle. And you were so engrossed in your reading that you didn't hear me. Now, how's my favorite writer today? In need of a pencil. That's how I am. So, what was so important that you needed to see me this afternoon? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. I have great news. The news you've been waiting to hear. I found a collaborator for the adaptation. You have? Who? Well, don't get so excited. It's Gilbert Wilkinson. That's who. Not too shabby, eh? Gilbert Wilkinson? That old stooge. Barney, please tell me you were pulling my leg. Annabelle. We have been trying to find a collaborator for this project for a very long time. You know how hard it's been. You know how many people I've talked to and what their responses have been. Now a prolific and conspicuous writer approaches us and you want to be picky. Conspicuous? I'd say more of an infamous writer. He is a sketch writer for vaudeville. Yes, which means he's constantly writing and rewriting new material for the stage. Not to mention he's also a novelist. A novelist? I think referring to Gilbert Wilkinson as a novelist is like referring to me as a choreographer. Just because I've seen a ballet doesn't mean I can create one. Though, at least I've seen an entire ballet. I would be shocked if Gilbert has even finished a book. Annabelle, I really don't know what to do for you. I thought you were going to be thrilled. He's the first writer who's willing to collaborate with a female author. I'm honored. I am an award-winning novelist. Yes, you are. And you also happen to be a woman, which... Bernie, don't say another word. I know he's not the caliber you're looking for, but he's got stage experience, and that's important. You need someone who knows how the theater works. You will have final draft approval. Yes, I will. Please forgive me. Today has been a bit long and taxing. I don't mean to be ungrateful. You know that I am very thankful for you and all that you do. I will take a few days to review his work and my notes, and then perhaps we could set up a meeting with Mr. Wilkinson. That sounds reasonable enough. I'll have Claire check in with you on Friday morning. Life is messy, AJ, 
What did you say? I said life is messy. You know that, but things always have a way of coming out in the wash. Good night, Bernie. Give my best to Gertrude. Good night, Claire. Don't forget to take the stairs, Mrs. Jones. Act two, scene three. Lily is back in her room at the Noonan boarding house for young women. She's been trying to keep herself distracted from the events of the day and has dug out the feather comforters, fluffed them, and put them on the beds. Her gloomy disposition seems punctuated by the sun's determination to retire early, and as darkness creeps into the room, she searches for matches to light the gas lamp. So tell me everything, Lil. What was it like to meet with Annabelle Jones? Well, things didn't go exactly as I planned. What? But you were so prepared. Yes. Yes, I was. What happened? Did you do something to upset Mrs. Jones? Why do you always assume it's me? You're just like my mother. Did it ever occur to you that the great Annabelle Jones might just be a big bore? No. Is she really? No, she's not. It was me, Dot. I was late. Oh, Lil! You did not take that silly bicycle of yours, did you? I told you not to do that. Mrs. Jones is a conventional woman, and you showing up in your bicycle costume must have disturbed her to no end. It wasn't the costume. <laughs> I'd wager she was a bit intrigued by that. It was the fact that I was 20 minutes late. No, you weren't. I know. It was just such a beautiful day, and I thought the ride would be lovely, and AJ has expressed... AJ? Yes. She signed one of her letters that way. Though... She never said I could call her that. And now... Anyway, I thought Annabelle might enjoy seeing my bicycle. I know she is secretly intrigued by my typewriter, Hildegard. And she's mentioned a fondness for invention. Oh, but the trees were so glorious and the park beckoned me. So I decided to take a quick spin. I had plenty of time to get to the cafe and, and then my chain slipped. You see, it wasn't my fault. I had to stop and fix it, and by the time I got to the cafe, well, Annabelle was leaving. Oh, Lily. I was surprised she was still there. I think she likes me. I mean, why else would she have waited 20 minutes? That may be, but you know what Mr. Darcy says. Dot. What? That is exactly what Annabelle said. What? She actually referred to Mr. Darcy. <laughs> well, Mrs. Jones is a proud woman, and needing or wanting a collaborator can't be easy for her. You know as much as I do, Lil, that trying to get her book adapted and produced will be a struggle because she's a woman. Working with another woman is a gamble in the greater scheme of things. And even if she likes you... She can't have someone who will give the men something to gripe about. Oh, it's not all that serious. I mean, she is Annabelle Jones. Yes, to us. But to the world at large, she is A.B. Jones. Most people don't even know she's a woman. And that's why she's been so successful. You know this, Lily. I do. But times are changing. What about Mrs. Stanton and her writings on what the patriarchy has done to limit women? What about them? Yes, things are changing, but we have a very long way to go. Remember, my dear friend, that the beautiful world we've created with like-minded friends and 
open discussions of equality, art, philosophy, and politics is not the whole world. Annabelle Jones is a pioneer. She has faced so much resistance on the road to being published, and I imagine she has an inkling of how tough the road to being produced will be. You're right. Of course you're right. And I'm sure she thinks of me as an insolent child. Do you think she thinks I'm not serious about this adaptation? Do you think she thinks I'm too young or too frivolous to have any notion of the uphill climb this project will be? Do you think she would decline to work with me because I'm a sapphist? Would it give the men too much fodder? I think you've given her good reason to think you're an insolent child and perhaps that you're not serious. The men will ask you, as I'm sure they've asked her, why marriage and children are not your first focus. Lily, you know who you are, and that is a gift. It is up to you who you trust. Just not sure she needs to know who and how you love. On the other hand, this is Annabelle we're talking about. And she has been through a great deal in her life. She has succeeded where women were told they shouldn't or couldn't go. She has faced adversity, been called overbearing and controlling, among many other things, and has always handled it with grace and wit. Yes, <laughs> she has always been who she is. No apologies. That and her brilliant writing are the reasons she inspires me. I am who I am. No apologies. Well... Except for being late to meet Annabelle Jones. Oh, this is terrible. Have I ruined my one chance at working with her? No, I refuse to believe that. Maybe if you send her your notes on the adaptation. They're really good. Oh no, where did I leave them? As Lily and Dot search their room for Lily's notes on the adaptation, Annabelle is pacing in her fire-warm study. She's reading a script of Gilbert Wilkinson's aloud to her late husband, Wendell, and struggling to refrain from personal commentary. She leaps off the couch seductively and skips to the door. Oh, for goodness sake, she can't just get up and walk to the door. Oh, Wendell, is this really the way to go? Gilbert Wilkinson? Is Bernie right? I know he'll add the theater recognition to the show, but is it the kind of recognition I want or need? Listen to this. She peers out the door but sees nothing. Her guest is looking in the window, keenly staring at her derriere. Oh, for goodness sake, if I wanted to write a farce, I would call Oscar, not this lowbrow. Wendell, what am I to do? I told Bernie I would keep an open mind, but so far, just reading his work is impossible. Can I tell you a secret, Wendell? I read Miss Lamont's notes for my adaptation. I found them in my notebook that she returned today. They weren't bad. Actually, they were quite good. Why am I not working with her? Because she was late, that's why. This is going to be a challenging road, and I don't need to be dragging an ill-mannered child who can't even say when she is wrong behind me. I know what you think, Wendell. But this time, I think you're wrong. I need an equal. And if I can't find one, then I will consider someone who has connections. <gasps> I can't believe I just said that. I miss you, my love. Oh, Wendell, please, let's not discuss Miss Lamont anymore this evening. I have promised Bernie to give Mr. Wilkinson six months, and so I will. 
I love you, my sweet, but I must finish reading the script. Meanwhile, back at the Noonan boarding house for women. Oh, where can they be? I spent hours working on those notes. We've looked everywhere, Lil. They're not here. They must be here. Oh, but I can't waste any more time. First things first. I will send her a letter of apology and show her I am serious. Do you think that will work? It's worth a try. And I'll help you. You get Hildy and I'll get the paper. Thank you, Dot. Act Two, Scene Four. It's a rather gray, dreary afternoon at the Arvison Library. Lenny is just stepping out for his mid-afternoon smoke break when he sees Annabelle leaving. Let me get the door for you, Mrs. Jones. Hmm, smells like snow, doesn't it? Why, thank you, Mr. Ayers. I'm not sure I know what snow smells like. If you don't mind my asking, how's your adaptation coming along? Well, news certainly does travel fast, doesn't it? I saw Mr. Wilkinson last night, and he told me all about it. Yes, I'm sure he did. To answer your question, Mr. Ayers, I'm not sure how it's going just yet. Well, uh, someone as talented as you, ma'am, I know it's going to be a smash. Your confidence is very reassuring. Good day, Mr. Ayers. Good day, Mrs. Jones. Quite an outfit you've got on there, Miss Lily. Lenny. Lenny, was that Annabelle Jones? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can talk to you all serious with, with you in that outfit. Lenny, don't be absurd. I'm sorry, Miss Lily. I don't, I don't mean to be. It's just that I've never seen a woman in knickers before. <laughs> see knickers with such bright stripes. They're called bloomers, and we have legs, Lenny, just like you do. Uh, they're not like mine. They're very... Lenny! Sorry, Miss Lily. I, I, just, I just meant... Lenny, was that Annabelle Jones I just saw leaving the library? Yes. She was here doing some research for the adaptation of her first novel. She's planning on taking it to Broadway, you know. Yes, I do know. Mr. Wilkinson was telling me how he's going to change the main character to a man. What? What are you talking about, Lenny? Who's Mr. Wilkinson? Gilbert Wilkinson. Who? You know, the vaudeville sketch writer. He's working with Mrs. Jones on the adaptation. What? No, Lenny, that's not right. You shouldn't spread gossip like that around. But, Miss Lily, it's not gossip. It's true. Fact. I got the information right from the horse himself. And, well, herself. What I mean to say is I've spoken directly to Mrs. Jones and Mr. Wilkinson myself. It can't be. But I sent her a letter of apology. It was hard for me to write that letter, but I did. I took responsibility for my actions. Oh, now I see the resemblance to Mr. Darcy. Of course. Oh, Mrs. Jones... I suppose your good opinion once lost is lost for good. Miss Lily, you all right? Oh, that's not going to stop me. Mother didn't name me Lily and Elizabeth Lamont for nothing. Some might say I have the temperament of one Miss Eliza Bennet, and I can quote pride and prejudice with the best of them. Annabelle Jones. Miss Lily. How about this? There is a stubbornness about me that never can bear to be frightened at the will of others. My courage always rises at every attempt to intimidate me. How's that? I don't need to work on an adaptation of someone else's book. I have my own place to write. Now, 
out of my way, Lenny. Sorry, Miss Lily. I, I can't let you in. What? I have my fee. No, no, that's not it. Well... Oh, for heaven's sake, Lenny, what is it? Spit it out. There's a dress code, Miss Lily. Oh, for the love of Pete, of course there's a dress code. Because we don't want women to be comfortable while they're reading. Because if they're comfortable... I'm sorry, Miss Lily. You know I'd let you in if I could. I just can't. Oh, never mind. <sighs> sorry, Miss Lily. See you soon. <laughs> a woman in knickers. How about them apples? Act two, scene five. It's six months later at the offices of Badger Yates Publishing. Bernie is sitting with his feet propped on his large mahogany desk and his hands behind his head. He swivels slightly to the right and then to the left, tracking Annabelle as she paces about his office. Bernie, I've tried. I promised you I would, and I did, for six long months. But I cannot and will not work with Gilbert Wilkinson for one more moment. Annabelle, what's the matter this time? Don't talk to me in that tone of voice like I'm some sort of spoiled schoolgirl. I've had enough. There's no need to knock my feet off the desk. I hear you. You're not happy. He is impossible to work with. He has no understanding of my novel at all. He is relentless in his quest to reestablish Catherine as Christopher. Not to mention all the schmaltz he is forever trying to impose on my dialogue. And if that isn't enough, it is impossible to get him to have a serious conversation. He waits for the sting after everything he says. The sting? You know, bum ching So the audience knows to laugh. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I know he can be a little challenging, but he has loads of experience. Not to mention all of his theater connections. Now, changing Catherine to Christopher, Gilbert feels it will draw a greater audience. Bernard Francis Badger, you stop right there. Don't you say another word. I am so angry with you, I could spit. It's clear that you have been seduced by Wilkinson's charms and have drifted back into the Dark Ages with him. How dare you allow this to happen and then have the audacity to stand up for his undermining maneuvers as if they are in my best interest? You know what you were asking me to do is wrong. I have half a mind to walk out of here and never come back. If it wasn't for my beloved Wendell and... Let me remind you of the promise you made to my dear Wendell to look after me. What? As silly as I think that is, you know that what you were asking me to do is wrong. If Wendell was standing here beside me today, you would not even consider asking me to continue to work with someone who does not respect me, my novel, or the greater women's issue that he is trying desperately to bury in my play, just so you can make money at the box office. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? First and foremost, I'm sorry I ever told you my middle name. But seriously, Annabelle, I've been a fool, charmed by a snake oil salesman and really enjoying it. Please forgive me. I'm not sure how I've lost all connection with our mutual goal. I got caught up in Wilkins's tempestuous patter. You know I believe in you and your work. I put my career on the line for you when I brought you into this agency, and you delivered. You've paid your dues, and it's unfair of me to ask you to compromise in any way. Not to mention I believe in you and your novel. It has been groundbreaking, and the play will cross even more barriers. It's hard for me to say this, but you're absolutely correct. If you were a man, I would never have asked you to change your main character. Of course, then Catherine would have always been Christopher, and in that case... The book wouldn't have sold as many copies. True. I hope you'll be able to forgive me. 
I have been a fool, and I've let Wendell down. What if he'd walked out? Don't be silly, Bernie. You're not the only one Wendell asked to look after someone. What? That's right. He asked me to look after you. And he warned me about your fits of fancy. <laughs> of course he did. Oh, Wendell, I do miss him. He believed in both of us and was our constant mediator. He took care of us and made us play nice. I'd say if it wasn't for him, we would not have been as successful. I couldn't agree more. Now, what are we going to do about Wilkinson? I'll take care of Gilbert. The question is, who are we going to get to work with you on the adaptation? I've just released it to the papers. Now is not the moment to falter. I think you'll find Miss Lamont an eager collaborator. Why don't you ring her? Claire has the number of her rooming house, doesn't she? I'll fetch you some tea from Colby's. Miss Lamont? You mean the young girl who called about your notebook a while back? Hmm. Make mine a coffee. Black, two sugars. Yes, dear. I'll be back in a jiff. Claire, will you please get me Miss Lamont on the phone? Yes, Mr. Badger. It's ringing, sir. Thank you, Claire. Hello? Yes. Is Miss Lamont available to speak? Yes, I'll hold. Hello. Uh, this is Miss Lamont. Miss Lamont. This is Mr. Bernard Badger from Badger Yates Publishing. I'm sorry, who? Mr. Badger, Annabelle Jones's agent. Oh, of course. Mr. Badger, how good to speak with you. I'm calling Miss Lamont to see if you would be so kind as to join me for lunch this week to discuss a collaboration with Mrs. Jones. The project is an adaptation of her novel, Hunger in the Depths of Love. Oh, I thought Mrs. Jones was working with Mr. Wilkinson on that particular project. Um... Uh, Yes, uh, well, uh, due to scheduling conflicts, we need to find another collaborator. And Mrs. Jones thought you would be eager to join forces. Eager? I bet she did. I'm sorry, Miss Lamont. I didn't catch what you just said. I'm flattered, Mr. Badger. But I'm already engaged in a project. Please thank Mrs. Jones for her thoughtful invitation. Good day. Here you go, Bernie. Coffee black, two sugars. Was that Miss Lamont you were talking with on the phone? Is she excited to be working with the great Annabelle Jones? No. In fact, she turned us down. Well, actually, she turned you down. That's impossible. She was so excited. She said she had another project. She didn't even ask about a stipend or working timeline. Why did you think she was so eager to work on this adaptation? Because I read her notes on it. Here, read them. Hmm. Oh, now that's interesting. When did she give these to you? Well, she didn't. Not exactly. I found them in my notebook that she returned. These are good, Jones. Really, really good. They honor your novel, but have a fresh perspective on the characters and story. That's what I thought. So, make nice. You're not suggesting that I... I most certainly am. We're in this, Jones. We're in this knee-deep. I've told the press about the adaptation, and now we're going to have to tell them Wilkinson is out. That's not good. It's the opposite of good. It's a lot of fodder. Then add that to the fact that we're already in negotiations for the theater. Seems to me the only logical way out of this jam is Miss Lamont. I'm guessing her other project won't have the perks of this one, and I'm betting you've rubbed her the wrong way. You will have to fix it. Why would you think I've rubbed her the wrong way? Because, my dear A.J., I've worked with you for many, many years. Now, off you go. Do what needs to be done. Schedule an appointment with Claire for next week, and I look forward to seeing you and Miss Lamont then. 
And Annabelle, I am truly sorry about Gilbert. Thank you, Bernie. I'll see you next week. And give my best to Gertrude. Act two, scene six. Annabelle rushes off the trolley and dashes up the large stone steps of her Henderson Place home, not pausing to notice the first blossoms of spring in large Grecian urns adorning her doorway. She proceeds through the foyer and directly into her study, where she pivots and stops instantly in front of the portrait of Wendell. Wendell, you should have seen the look on Bernie's face when I told him you asked me to look after him. And as far as Miss Lamont, you were right, my love. Well, of course you were right. You were always right. <laughs> well, not always, but you were right about this. Miss Lamont is the writer I need for my adaptation, and I think I've offended her. She has declined to work with me. She says it's another project, but I find that hard to believe. She is, after all, a novice. She has no agent, and she writes letters for elderly women to make her pocket money. Why would she refuse such an opportunity? Yes, I did quote Austin. <laughs> Not just Austin, but Mr. Darcy. I suppose that could release the stubbornness in anyone. I need her, Wendell. Her notes were inspired. She has something different, new, and I think she will push me and make the adaptation greater than I can alone. But what do I do? Wendell, that's it. A gesture, true and pure, as only Mr. Darcy could do. Thank you, my love. You always steer me in the right direction. Lily has spent all day in her room at the boarding house. Most of it has been spent sitting at the table and staring at her typewriter, Hildegard. After opening the window, she returns to her writing as the sweet smell of hyacinth begins to fill the room. Ah! Focus, Lily. You are a writer. You have lots of good ideas. All you need to do is flesh them out. Oh, Hildegard, what sort of writer passes up an opportunity to work with their idol? What was I thinking? I'm too stubborn. No, no, I will not go down that road again. AJ, Annabelle, Mrs. Jones did not appreciate me. She ignored my letter of apology, and then she didn't even contact me herself. She left it to Mr. Badger, who assumed that I didn't know anything about her working with Mr. Wilkinson. Oh, stop it. You're halfway down the rabbit hole. <sighs> Enough. I am Lillian Elizabeth Lamont. I am a great writer, and I will be published and produced. I have great stories and plays... And I have lots to learn, and I need guidance, and I turned down an amazing opportunity to work with my idol, Annabelle Jones. Oh, Hildy. Hello, Lil. Good afternoon, Hildegard. What a lovely day it is outside. It's just the perfect temperature. I think spring is finally here. Mm-hmm. I got the mail from Stanley on my way in. You have a letter from your mother. I got a package from little Susie Hodson, and... Oh, that's right. I was stopped by a messenger on the front steps. A messenger? 
I would have sent us something by messenger. I think you may have gotten something from Annabelle. Oh, Dot, don't tease me. Not today. I'm not teasing you, Lil. It's right here. It's a Badger Yates envelope with the Henderson Place return. And you owe Stanley for the tip. She sent me something by messenger? Why would she do that? I turned down working with her today. You what? Let me see that, Dot. No, Lily, stick to your guns. You don't want to work with someone who doesn't appreciate you, who doesn't understand. Lily, I don't know what happened, but stop. Stop making up stories and open the letter. See what she has to say. Right. Good idea. Read it out loud, Lily. Dot, she typed it. She typed the letter. What? Did she really? Oh, Lil, read it. Dear, Dear Miss Lamont, I'm hoping I may still call you Lily. I am writing to apologize. This is something I do not need to do often, and therefore I'm not very skilled at it. I feel that it would be more effective to do this in person, and I'm requesting a meeting with you. I propose we meet in Union Square Park on Thursday the 23rd. I feel I will be better able to address my misjudgings and poor conduct in person. There is no need to respond to this letter. If you are willing, please meet me near the public drinking fountain on the west side of the park, between 15th and 16th Street, around 2-ish. Yours in words, Annabelle, Annabelle Jones. AJ. AJ. Dot, did you hear that? That's quite a letter. You do understand what kind of gesture this is, don't you, Lil? Please promise me you won't take that silly bicycle. Oh, but Dot... Lily, she sent you a letter by messenger. She typed it. She made plans with you with no specific time, and she signed it yours in words. What more could she do? Now you've got to show her that you're serious. Yes, you're right. I'll make sure I'm early and I'll be neat and tidy. And Dot... Do you think? I think someone's going to be working with Annabelle Jones on the adaptation of her most famous novel, Hunger, Hunger in the, the Depths, Depths of Love. Act Two, Scene Seven. It's Thursday, sometime around two in the afternoon. The trees lining the paths of Union Square Park are sprinkling their cherry blossoms on unsuspecting passers-by. Lily doesn't seem to notice the stippled pink pavement as she paces in front of the public drinking fountain, checking her watch on every pass she makes. Annabelle strides up behind Lily in her brand new bold striped bicycle bloomers. Good afternoon, Miss Lamont. <laughs> Good afternoon, Mrs. Jones. I quite admire your bicycle costume. Did you ride a bicycle here today? No, I don't own a bicycle, though I must say the costume is rather heavenly. I've never felt so free in my life. I just want to kick my legs about like a can-can dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Please, do call me Lily. Thank you, Miss Lamont. Lily, I'm delighted you decided to meet me. And I hope you will call me Annabelle. I thought certain you'd have your bicycle with you today, being it's such a lovely day. Mm, it is a glorious day for riding, but I didn't bring my bicycle. I wanted to make sure I didn't have any mishaps today. And Annabelle, it's my pleasure to be here. Oh, I see. I was rather hoping that after we have a chat, perhaps you would indulge me in a riding lesson. It would be my pleasure. We can pick up my bicycle. I don't live far from here and you'll love riding. 
It's a simply marvelous feeling. It feels like what I think flying must feel like. Oh, that sounds divine. But first things first, why don't we sit on the bench here so we can talk? I'm Lily, so I sorry, owe you an Annabelle. apology. I, I insist you let me speak first. Lily, I am truly sorry for the way I have behaved, and I hope you will accept my apology. Firstly, though I am a stickler for punctuality, there was no excuse for not giving you the chance to explain your tardiness at our last encounter. Secondly, it was nothing short of ill-mannered of me to not respond to your letter of apology. If my late husband Wendell were here today, he would explain to you that I have a terrible habit of cutting off my nose to spite my own face. Thank you. I will not lie, my feelings were hurt. But Annabelle, of course I accept your apology. And I hope you will forgive me. In retrospect, I, I believe I may have been childish and disrespectful, which was not my intention. I love to have fun, and sometimes I get swept up in the moment and lose track of time. But I would never want you to think that I don't take writing or collaboration or your work seriously. I do. And when I get embarrassed, well, <laughs> I get stubborn, which doesn't serve my best interest. If my father were here, he'd tell you that I'm half mule. I think we can both agree that we're not proud of all of our behaviors. Now, I want you to know I read your notes on my adaptation. What? And they are good. Really very good. But I lost my notes. I... I haven't been able to find them. How did you? I found them in my notebook you returned that day at the cafe. Of course. Oh, why didn't I think of that? When I decided to ride my bicycle down to meet you, I tucked them into your notebook for safekeeping. I completely forgot. Your notes on the transitions were intriguing. And the innovative way you devised the scene breakdowns, that really piques my interest. I'm not sure I would have ever thought of combining chapters 4 and 22 using chapter 11 as a flashback. It's inspired. Thank you, Annabelle. That means so much to me. I'm glad. And I mean what I say, Lily. But I also have to lay all my cards on the table with you. I think you have a fresh, new way of approaching things. A way that somehow complements and connects to my original work. But... I am tough to work with. Fair, but tough. I worry that you may not be up for the structure and hours it will take to get this adaptation written. There will be many naysayers, merely for us being women. We'll be poked and prodded and asked why we aren't at home taking care of our husbands and children. Mr. Badger, as you know, is supportive and encouraging, but not everyone that we meet or work with will be so evolved. Lily, I have only known you a short while, and you've managed to jumble my life. You have affected my writing, you've interrupted my routine, and you've tempted me with your inventions. If this is what happens in the short term, I can only imagine what an adventure the long term could bring. I want you to know that I am a better writer and better person because of you. It's not going to be an easy road. No women have ever been produced before. Separately, we are strong, but together, I think we might become a force to be reckoned with. Annabelle. Please, call me AJ. All those who are close to me do. And don't answer now. Take some time to think. I don't need time to think. But there is one thing I must tell you. I must lay all my cards on the table as well. First, 
I do not shy away from hard work. I run towards it. In fact, it's like water to me. But there is something I want you to know. Something that may sway your decision to work with me. I am a sapphist. I'm not one to talk about my personal life, and I'm not in a relationship at the moment. Well, unless you count Hildy, my typewriter, but why would you count Hildy? I mean, I do love her, but that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that this is a part of who I am, and I think it's important that you know. Now, as far as the men go, I grew up with five brothers, so I am very adept at handling whatever guff they may throw my way. Thank you, Lily, for being so forthright with me. It does not sway my decision to work with you at all. In fact, it strengthens my resolve to do so. It takes a courageous person to be who they truly are. I'm sure that's why your writing reads so authentic and true. My dearest Wendell taught me that anyone who was lucky enough to find love in this life should leap at it and savor it, for one never knows how long they will have it. Now, how about that bicycle riding lesson? Act Two, Scene Eight. As the sun begins to slip behind the Arvison Library and the symphony of rush hour sounds mingle for a moment with a faint chorus of frogs from the nearby park, Lenny comes out for his last smoke break of the day. Have you seen Lily? No, Miss Murphy. Not today. Hmm, she left a message at the boarding house to meet her here. Then she'll be along shortly, I expect. It's such a nice night, I hardly mind waiting. That it is, Miss Murphy. That it is. Smells like rain. People always say that, but I'm not quite sure what they mean. (laughs) Excuse me, Lenny. I'll just pop inside and see if Lily's in there. Well, good evening, Mr. Badger. Good evening, Mr. Ayers. Have you seen Mrs. Jones? No, sir, not this evening. She left a message at my office to meet her here. Then she'll be along shortly, I'd expect. It's such a nice night, I hardly mind waiting. That it is, Mr. Badger. That it is. Smells like rain. It certainly does, Lenny. It smells like rain, all right. I think I'll check inside for Mrs. Jones. Let me get the door for you, Mr. Badger. Oh, Oh. oh, I'm sorry, me. Excuse me. Well, she wasn't inside. I wonder where... Dot! Oh, thank goodness you got my message. What is going on, Lily? And why are you wearing your bicycle costume? Please tell me you didn't wear that to meet Mrs. Jones this afternoon. No, I wore exactly what you told me to. Good evening, Miss Lamont. Beautiful night, ain't it? Oh, Lenny, you have no idea. Well, she's nowhere to be found. What? Ah, there's AJ. (laughs) Dorothy Murphy, I'd like to introduce you to the incomparable Annabelle Jones. A pleasure to meet you, Miss Murphy. Annabelle Jones. Now, Bernie. Stop talking. You must stop talking. You cannot talk to me in that serious manner while wearing that outfit. I may talk to plants, but at least I still have some dignity. What in the world are you wearing, Ah, AJ? Ah, yes, my new bicycle (laughs) costume. Do you like it? The bloomers are so freeing. (laughs) I feel like a new woman, as though I can take on the world. (laughs) 
Now, if you're through laughing, Bernard, I'd like to introduce you to Miss Lamont. Miss Lamont? Oh, Miss Lamont. I see you're the one to thank for this evening's entertainment. Mr. Badger, it's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, I'm... no, you don't. Stop talking so formally. It just makes me laugh harder. <laughs> Got it, Chief. You're my kind of gal, Miss Lamont. Oh, please, call me Lily. Lily it is. I must say, you have some effect on the great Annabelle Jones. I never thought I'd see her running about in knickers. Marvelous. Just marvelous. AJ, I do believe Wendell would have liked this gal. Oh, he would have loved her. And my new bloomers. Does this demonstration of fashion solidarity mean we have Miss Lamont on board for the adaptation? Don't you think you should talk numbers and contracts with her first? You have me on board, sir. And I'm always up for a good negotiation. That's what I like to hear. Now, Lily, the road you're about to embark on isn't going to be easy. And honestly, it'll be mostly uphill. Many men do not think that women should be writing at all, let alone producing a play. I'll do my best to protect you and AJ and to find people who are willing to take a chance. Excuse me, Mr. Badger. Uh, please call me Bernie. Bernie, I don't mean to interrupt you but I think it's only fair to warn you that it is the men that will need your protection from AJ and myself. You see, we have no intention of stopping until we reach our goal. Do we, Annabelle? No, we don't, Lily. And we intend to embrace new and creative ways of getting where we want to go. I may even buy a typewriter. And I a fountain pen. I think I need to lie down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, I suggest we meet first thing in the morning. Lily and I will negotiate terms, and then you two will get to work. I like this girl, AJ. She's just what we've been looking for. I couldn't agree more. Congrats, Miss oh, Lily. Oh, Lil. uh, Thank you. I love that you're all learning the news on the very spot where it all began. A rather rambunctious beginning, wouldn't you say, Annabelle? Rather. Well, the library's open for at least another hour. Isn't that right, Mr. Ayers? Uh, um, yes, ma'am, but... Ma'am, there, there's a... well... A... What is it, Mr. Ayers? Spit it out. Annabelle, we are not welcome in the library because of our bloomers. Isn't that right, Lenny? Yes, Miss Lily, that is correct. That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard, Mr. Ayers. I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't make the rules. Of course he doesn't, A.J. Take it easy. Remember, Mr. Ayers is only the messenger. Yes, of course. Forgive me, Mr. Ayers but I would appreciate you escorting me to Mr. Reynolds' office. Perhaps he has forgotten how many of the collections here at the Arvison Library were provided by myself and my beloved Wendell. I'd do what she asked, Mr. Ayers. Mm-hmm. Now, Miss Murphy, may I offer to escort you someplace? Oh, how kind of you, Mr. Badger. I was planning on meeting some friends at Stilton's. I would certainly enjoy the company on the walk. It would be my pleasure. I'll just pop into the corner shop for a cigar... Shall I meet you just outside, then? Perfect. Good night, Lily. Good night, Annabelle. Good night, Chief. Good night, Bernie. Give my best to Gertrude. Lily, may I speak to you a moment? Of course. Annabelle, uh, I'll meet you inside. Yes. I'll be in the women's reading room. I'll be the one in the bloomers. Good night, Miss Murphy. Pleasure meeting you. The pleasure was all mine, Mrs. Jones. Good night, Lenny. Good night, ladies. <laughs> Oh, Lil! I couldn't have done it without you, Dot. You know that, right? Well, <laughs> you and Hildy, that is. <laughs> <laughs>
Can you believe it? I'm so excited for you, Lily. I don't want to keep Mr. Badger waiting. We'll celebrate tomorrow with the gang. Ta! First, there was Austin. Then there was Jones. And now there will be Lamont. Completely, perfectly, incandescently happy. That concludes our special radio presentation of the play, Yours in Words. Yours in Words was written by Laura Toma and produced by Roxanne Drelay. The cast was Deborah Mott as Lily Lamont, Ellen Atwood as Annabelle Jones, Lisa DeAngelis as Dorothy Murphy, John Lamar as Bernard Badger, Kelly DeMauro as Lenny, Brian Cunningham as Stanley, and yours truly, Jeffrey Blanchett, as the narrator. listening to the book cougars with chris wallach and emily fine to keep the bookish conversation going online join our goodreads group or connect with us on social media if you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read you can donate on patreon and if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us we appreciate it it can help other listeners find us thanks everybody (laughs) 